are you actually asking them these questions when you're hiring engineers about their ability to do software testing? Because I think that that's where you nip that in the bud. Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. I never know what to say at the beginning. Hey everyone, it's Alan. Don't you have a patented uh, starting? Hey everyone. All right, that aside, we have a, another guest, a wonderful guest. We have Emery. Emery, say hi. Hi, hello everyone. Nice to be here. Well, I don't know about Brent. I'm ecstatic to have you here. This is, I think we're going to have a, a, a really fun conversation and get to know. I'm, I have so many curious questions, which I've shared with you in advance. Well, in advance by meaning, you know, 30 seconds ago. And I'm, full, I'm fully prepped, right? If you were a <laughs> so, color, what color would... No, sorry. <laughs> Can I answer that? No. Yeah. <laughs> and that was for Brent. Teal. Teal. Teal? Teal's an excellent Perfect. choice. Feels <laughs> an excellent choice. Now, the going back to so number one, your your last name is pronounced Sherrit. Well, it's actually Charrot, as in carrot. So, oh. uh, yeah, yeah, that's a common I, thing. Yeah. I like Sherrit better. It sounds more more inclusive. Oh, okay. like share <laughs> it. Oh, good. good uh, exactly. Exactly. You know oh my. <laughs> the first person who's actually come up with that. So you know. That, I, oh. I, I'm going with that. I am Charette from now on. <laughs> <laughs> and Alan, you're going to ding me on that. And you started off with what's her color. Oh, my God. OK, no. So I'll just say it's a joy having you on this. Uh, I had not. I, I'll be. So I know Alan and Anne-Marie have a uh, have have crossed paths. We, we've interacted over the Internet together and we figured out that we've met once. <laughs> Up until. So I knew that I knew nothing about Anne Marie until a couple of years ago when Lisa uh, Crispin came on and expressed that Anne Marie is someone that the world should be paying attention to. So I have started doing so since then. Well, that's very kind, very kind of Lisa as well. Anne Marie for the um, and I'm going to guess. So here's the. What's the name of the bias? We have we have the audience bias. There's a better name for that. Everyone who listens to our podcast probably already knows who you are. But on the off chance that and the people that should know who you are don't listen to our podcast. So we have a bit of a conundrum. But in the off chance, we have a a, a new version of our three listeners this time. We're going to get to a lot to get to know you. Maybe a quick introduction. Like, I think uh, you may have noticed Anne-Marie has an accent. So, like, where you're from, what your role is, what you do. Just just a little a little yeah. blurb. The elevator pitch. I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, keeps changing. So, uh, I, I suddenly realize it's not up to date anymore. Um, yeah. So, uh, Irish, born and bred. Uh, moved to Australia in the early 90s, which gives you some idea of my um, ex- amount of experience I have in the industry. Basically came here for a year and much to my mother's disgust, fell in love with an Australian and I've been here ever since. So, yeah, but uh, from a software testing quality perspective, uh, really came out of uni as electronic engineer and um, first job ended up as you do a software tester and just loved it. Just 
you know, I was testing protocols and which can be seem really, really dry to a lot of people. But um, I was testing uh, protocols for the European Commission. And what I found fascinating was, you know, you would get a conformance to a protocol. And then when you connected the two devices together, they didn't work. So it's like this was just fascinating for me. And suddenly a whole heap of questions about why and, you know, and I guess ever since then, I've just been asking those questions. Why? How come? What's going on? You know, how do I pull this apart? Um, and I, and I really enjoyed it. And I, I keep thinking about what else I could do in my life. And I, I haven't come up with another answer. I, I desperately wanted to think about other things I could do in my career. Uh, I keep going back to software testing and quality because I just really, really enjoy the topic. It's a fascinating topic for me. Um, quality coaching is something I guess that is evolved. I'm, I'm all about evolution. Um, I'm all about learning and growing. And as long as I learn and grow, um, I, I'm a happy person. Um, and quality coaching for me is a natural evolution of, you know, where the software testing role has come to. Um, when you work in the industry, when you work and you see how people develop software, you, it, it's, it makes sense. Like, like you've got to work with, with the way software is being developed today. And the role of quality coach is... Um, really just an evolution of that and, and how can we think about quality and how can we, you know, provide uh, support to the teams that are developing quality is is just massively important. Um, it's a really challenging role, as you both know, um, It's but it's a really interesting role to see if you can actually make that difference um, without actually being in the mix, so to, so to speak. So uh, that, that's where I am. I'm at Culture Amp at the moment. I recently took a decision to go and uh, work, work in the industry again. I really enjoy going back and kind of getting into the mix and working at the coal face. So I'm just doing that at the moment, um, building a bit of a team there and uh, really enjoying it, actually. It's great. I have a question I want to get to, but now I have more questions. It's fun. So, are you uh, a, a is your role quality coach or a part quality coach at Culture Amp? I, I am the I, I guess the quality coach of quality coaches. I mean, the official title is director of quality engineering, but um, the really ah. the, the 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 actual thing is how how can we transition to a quality coach model? Okay, quality coach. Uh, quality. I, I mean, I guess you call that it is super cool. Unity model. are a customer of Culture Amp. By the way, yay! I know. <laughs> yes, yes, because we look at all the stats about yeah, your clients. It's, it's are good and, data. So, yes. and just for, uh, and again, this is not a dig on Microsoft as I usually do, but uh, there comes a point in the size of a company where it's just cheaper to build your own than pay a license for two hundred thousand people. So, I for oh, uh, a uh, culture amp is the equivalent Brent of MS Poll. Gotcha. Companies our size actually outsource that to companies that can give us a lot, make this work a lot better for us. So anyway, very cool. Um, I think there was a time, you know, I don't know how long you've been listening, but uh, Brent and I, just for context, uh, we started talking this podcast maybe seven years ago, eight years ago, almost eight years ago now. And it was really because we we're seeing a lot of changes happening in testing. We were seeing teams move to using and of course agile's been around a lot longer than eight years teams were moving in directions where they needed fewer testers and sometimes choosing not to have testers sometimes executing that very well and sometimes very poorly and we paid attention to why and what worked and really 
We were just trying to talk about the changes so that the testers listen to our podcast could understand what may be coming their way. And along the way, you know, I moved, well, I guess the first time that maybe I was in any role you could call a quality coach, like maybe it was a science project after Xbox where we didn't have any testers on the team. I didn't think of myself as a quality coach at that time. I just helped developers learn how to test. And then I did it again on another team and then did it again at Unity and thought, wait a minute, this is a thing. And maybe it wasn't until Unity. When I started at Unity, I reread Agile Testing. And all this stuff I thought I had figured out on my own, I realized that Janet and Lisa had written about several years before. It's kind of like talking about modern testing. It's, it's a given a name to something people, a lot of people are already doing. It's mm-hmm. not that modern, not really about testing. It was the same thing reading that book. And when they talked about I can't remember the exact text and my copy is right over there. I won't pull it out. Obviously, I'm not as prepared as I should be, but they talked about the role of the test manager is to run a community. Highly paraphrased, but pretty close. Community was the word. And that was a big insight for me. And then a lot of what I did for my first team at Unity was I dissolved. I, I came in as a director of QA and I had a lot of embedded folks. Your typical matrix organization QA reported to me, but they were embedded in teams. And often, as unfortunately happens in some agile teams, and many of the teams, they're responsible for all the testing on the team, which isn't a great way to do agile testing, as we know on this call. So I ended up coaching in two ways. I coached the testers on how to coach quality on the teams they work with, but I also coached the developers, sorry, the dev leads they worked with on how to uh, work with them in a new way. And eventually, eventually I moved all of them onto those teams directly. I didn't have a team anymore. And I, so I, which as Brent knows, I've worked myself out of jobs before and I usually recover pretty well. I found other things to do. They've always involved quality coaching at, to some extent. Now I do a bunch of more stuff as well. So, and somewhere in there, start, we started talking about quality coaching on the podcast as a thing. But what's interesting is we talk about it like, just sort of abstractly, but then it's not because we mentioned it at all. Uh, you know, serendipitously, at the same time, there were quality coaches spinning up all over the globe. You know, you, you know you're not the only mm-hmm. one. There's plenty of people doing it. I think you write the most about it. And I will put your your blog site into or your website into the show notes, but you've written a lot about different aspects of quality coaching. As far as I know, you've thought more about the role and the needs of quality coaching more than anybody has, you know, way more than Brent and I have. And maybe there's somebody else out there I haven't heard of yet, but you've done a lot. But you hinted at this before. What I'm curious is some more specifics. Like, how did you, like, what was that transition like? Was it gradual? Was it all of a sudden? Was there a eureka moment? How did you go from caring about quality and managing test teams to moving to becoming a quality coach? And like, great question. Yeah, look, yeah. Well, you know, I think I think this is you've touched on so many things I want to address here. Um, the first thing is it is absolutely an evolution. I don't think, you know, unless you come from a, a marketing aspect or as in your a consulting firm that wants to name something, you come in, you evolve because you're learning and growing as the organizations are learning and growing and changing and evolving. And you're adapting to what's going on in your local context you raise your head above the, the, the kind of, 
you know, the, the fence. And then you suddenly realize that, oh, hang on, this is happening in other places. And, and then you start kind of going, oh, this is a thing. This is this is where we're heading. Right. So I think for me, it sort of felt right. I didn't go in um, when I was working in 2014. I was working with this company and I didn't go in thinking we're going to go and have this quality assistance model, whatever. And at that time, you know, 2014 Atlassian, who was just down the road in Sydney, they had started this quality assistance model in 2010 with Andrew Prentice. And to be honest, I hadn't really tweaked anything on that. And it wasn't really like, oh, look what Andrew's doing in Atlassian, let me copy that. It was more like, I want to go in, here's an opportunity to go in and really, um, you know, influence quality within a, a, a rapidly growing tech company. And yeah, you know, what an opportunity. And I went in and actually the first thing I did was put testers into all of the teams. It wasn't necessarily like, oh, everyone's going to start as quality coaches. But as it evolved, and I'm sure you this has happened to you too, as it evolves, you're going, you know what? The, in the teams that it's really, really working, the quality coaches are coming, like the testers are coming up to me and going, I don't know what to do anymore. My team's kind of, you know, really seems to be working without me. What do I do now? <laughs> you know, And I was like, gestalt moment. Oh, so this is what Andrew is doing down the road in quality assistance, you know, ka-ching. And um, I think that's sort of, personally, that's how it evolved for me. Um, I don't, you know, um, I had this vision that every tester was a test lead, but now I think, well, that actually is, you know, you know, that's where it evolves. It evolves into a quality coach. Um, and I think the other thing is, is that you start realizing that quality, you have an the way we deploy software and the way we deliver means that we can think about quality beyond testing, right? And I think there's opportunities now, which maybe we hadn't before, that we can start thinking about early on, you know, what is it? How do we know if we're building the right product? You know, and of course, in monitoring, and I know you've done a lot of work in this space, Alan, it's just that monitoring and analytics and feeding that information into your quality um, strategy, you know. Um, I think these things, you know, liberating yourself away from focusing only on testing means that you can start thinking about these other problems which are really, really important and you can honestly sometimes argue maybe more important, you know. Um, so I think, I think it's a really exciting uh, future. And, you know, um, I'm all about having opportunity and growth. As I said, growth is really important for me. So I want to create spaces where quality professionals who are passionate about testing or passionate about quality can actually see and say, I've got a future. You know, I've got a part to play in how software is delivered. So, you know, that's what drives me. Um, yeah, so... There was one other bit I wanted to address. It'll I'm, come back. I'm, I'm sure Brent is, is, so. is, is, he, yeah, he's giddy <laughs> over there because he loves what you're saying. So I'm going to give him a chance to, to comment. I love the phrase you just mentioned around liberating from, uh, uh I, I'm going to screw it up, but you said liberating from mostly testing or something testing, right? Um, I will say, that is exactly how I felt when I went through the transition, right? The James Whitaker 
James Whitaker, one of his, so he's very clever with his like one liner um, shots that get the point across. Mm. And I remember one of the things he said to me over lunch and it eventually became a blog post, which is all this testing is getting in the way of quality. And for those of us that have a passion around quality. I'm no longer in a testing role. I'm not in a test coach role, but I run a data science team that's very much concerned about the customer. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to separate any sort of analysis around the customer from the quality of their experience and the quality of them engaging with the, the products that that you build and, and support. Yeah, there is a ton I, I loved in what you were saying there. The the one thing that I did write down, though, so you mentioned 2010 uh, that I, I don't remember. I, I remember. So when Alan was telling his story, like I remember those days very well. Right. Uh, Alan and like me at Microsoft, we were we were kind of risk adverse. Um, I had by that time already gone through the transition. Uh, I was one of the earlier folks within Microsoft to go through it. And I'm like, oh, my God, not only is the the grass greener, the water is nice and cozy, warm, and they have bubbles and unicorns. But I remember Alan going through it. And part of it, I saw him kind of evoking on on. Trust and another part on instinct, like, like Alan, you were absolutely doing the quality coaching role before you had named it, right? So what Alan had, I would say Alan had realized at that point in time was how much what we called testing was a bottleneck. And he worked particularly on the team's team, he had the opportunity to start up, start that effort from the ground. And he was like, no, we're going to minimize the amount of actual testing that comes with this. He was doing stuff that would be the guidance of Accelerate uh, today, I think, um, even before it happened. But we were climbing up that hill. Uh, it was definitely a steep hill climb. Like the the things that we were saying, the things that we were doing, the things that we were advising was absolutely contradictory to the well-known knowledge and QA team. I think it was difficult within the inertia of big core. It was not only that, but we were we were basically saying, hey, as long as it's not ripping the tourniquet off, right? Transitioning to a world where QA is as our dedicated testers is what I'll call it. Testing still needs to exist, but the world where dedicated testers is not only smaller, but significantly smaller, not only will not harm the company, will probably improve it. But that was not a popular, that, uh, well, no. So let me. Are you you going somewhere, Brent? I'm long windedly going back to to a question to Anne Marie. We had an uphill climb. We learned a bunch of things around how people are going to push back and what they're afraid of and things like that. Your 2010 story sounded a little different, that it wasn't sort of a controversial transition. Yeah, so uh, just just there, uh, I started in 2014. 
So um, that that really, um, yeah, to me, it was an evolution. Um, I think I think there's, there's there's an interesting thing about a lot of this work, which I have observed. And one is if you have if you work with a company that has a culture, an entrenched culture of quality, these sorts of things are easy. They just evolve because the engineers are passionate. Everyone agrees that testing is important. Like it's it's not a conversation difficult. Like when I went into the place I was working, they actually, it was an XP house. Everyone was doing TDD pair programming. So the first thing that they would do was think about how do I test this? Like you would walk any morning, you'd walk into the organization and that was the, that was the word on engineers' lips. Now, when you're in that culture and environment, moving to a quality coach model is not that hard because you've got this culture of engineers already doing that type of work. The challenge is when you go into organizations that are that have engineers who don't do software testing or don't necessarily think or understand or have not been coached on how to think about quality and how to build quality in. That's a lot, lot harder because what you're doing there is you're, as sort of Alan alluded to, you're, you're training two type people there in the team. You're training the, the, the QA or the, the tester to become a quality coach, but you're also educating the team how to do, how to think about and how to, to kind of care about, not care about because they do care about quality, but it's just a different form. They have to think about all these other things that they're not aware of and they make assumptions about what testing is and, you know, oh, it's just three unit tests per function and I'm done. Yay, let's ship, you know. You, you gotta you gotta help them grow and mature in what quality is. And I think that's a completely different ball game. So I think you have to be like, you know, and I say this to people as well, because other other things that you need to consider is are you a are you a tech company or are you a large entrenched bank that, you know, where you've had 400 testers outsourced in India? You know, those are completely different challenges to deal with if you want to move to a quality assistance model, right? So, so I think, you know, again, it's it's that sort of, you know, think about what you're trying to achieve. Think about, you know, is the quality coach model right for me? Maybe, just maybe having software testers, you know, is the better approach because of all the different things about your belief. The, the cultural system, the belief system of the organization and things like that. We don't want to wedge a blueprint. A lot of teams in the early stages of this randomly followed a blueprint. They said, oh, when we do agile, we don't need test we don't need testers anymore. You're all fired, which was dumb for obvious reasons. And it's, you know, when we talk about our principle number seven, all we're saying is that not that we shouldn't have testers. We've Principle seven says something like we may get to a, our quality may get so good. We may not need a dedicated tester anymore. Kind of like your story, like, I don't know what to do anymore. It's not, it's it's the mm. other way around. You don't remove the testers to improve quality. Quality may get so good that you don't need that dedicated tester there, or they can work across multiple teams or they can do other stuff. When I dissolve these QA orgs, I find new jobs for them because they're, these are very versatile people. I'll, anecdotally, a line I've probably shared half a dozen times on the podcast already, but in one of my quality coach roles at Unity, a VP would ask me, 
how is how it didn't have any dedicated testers he'd ask how is the team doing at testing and i would say they do all the testing they know how to do which is good and ac- you know you two know what i mean by that they they yeah 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 it's the kind of sentence you wanted yeah you do to push to say just go away everything's fine go away <laughs> leave me alone <laughs> they know how to do this much testing i'm holding i'm holding up my fingers about three yeah. inches apart but i'm working so they know two feet of testing mm-hmm. yeah nice yeah. yeah it's essentially saying that in alan's point of view the, the the dev team or the the teams involved are meeting his expectations so they're, no they're one's going to get punished to today they know testing but there's is their job to, they just there's unconscious right. ignorance in how much testing they think they need to do they just yeah. need more yeah. training. Well, the, when I, I yeah, when I do it, I I, I basically say, um, you know, uh, w- w- when when can we move to this quality assistance model? I say when your engineers are ready. <laughs> like this has really not got a lot to do with the quality coaches. This is about the team being ready, and how how do you know the team's ready? Like those are the interesting questions you should be asking. I, not not about the QA, whether you know what the QA is doing. I have. I have a relevant question on that topic. So let's say the business, the, the, the business leadership realizes that they need this model, right? And, and there's a lot of benefits to going with this model above sort of the traditional models. And the engineering team is not ready. How do, what, what advice do you give uh, for someone that's either a tester now or a, a blossoming quality coach? Like, how can they help to make the engineering team ready? What are your thoughts? Oh, goodness. Like, it's always a people problem, Brad. Um, it's always is, a people uh, problem. Yeah. Nope. I know. Yeah. But, but I think, I think, look, um, there, there's, I, I hate using the word having credibility and trust, you know, because, um, Yes, these are things that are really, really important, but it also suggests that, you know, the engineer and the team is ready to engage. You know, um, there's nothing harder than trying to build credibility and trust when you've got a team that's not willing to, to meet you that way. You know, these things are relationship things. They're not, you know, you've got to have both ways. So I think, um, yes, while credibility and trust is really, really important, um, for me, the go-to is those CTO, the VPs, and to basically start mandating or making this, this is what we value and this is really important. Um, I think it's really unfair to put all that work on a quality coach to come and change an organization, to change the culture of an organization without having that senior kind of top-down mandate. So I kind of think that's the first place I go to is like, you know, are you prepared to, um, you know, walk the walk on this and come and say what you need to say when it needs to be said? Um, So I think I ask for that. To me, uh, the engineers, um, and you kind of alluded this to, to this, Alan, it's, you know, going to the tech lead. That's the equivalent, right? It, it's like, who in the team do I need to influence to drive the change? And, you know, sometimes the quality coach can do that if they've got the confidence maturity, but sometimes that's they're not ready for that. And, you know, that means that you've got to um, kind of step in a bit and, and, create that space within the team for 
that person to come in and start making changes. So that's your role as a senior quality coach or a director is, is to do that. And, you know, um, yeah, I just, I just think you've got to be really careful if you're a, a, a quality analyst or a software tester and maybe you've got five years experience under your belt. It's like, make sure you get the support from that um, around you to, to make sure that you're successful um, and sure that the team is successful. Yeah, I want to build on that a little bit. So much of it, and it's can't hire a quality coach, someone into a quality coach role out of university. Yeah, it's not just sure. the technical skills, but the, you need to have some <laughs> knowledge, but some there's leadership mm. attributes that are needed. And uh, there's yeah. this book by Maxwell, what's his first name? doesn't matter. Um, Five Levels of Leadership. He talks about, if you know, first you're put in a, right. in a position of leadership, and this is the CTO or the VP, whoever's saying, we care about quality and Anne-Marie, you're going to help us with this. Now you're in a permission, you have, you're in a mm. position of quality, but the next thing you do, and that gives you a start, but you're still the trust and credibility. The next level that mm. Maxwell has is people have to give you permission to lead them. And you, mm. and that's mm. where the trust and credibility come in. Just, it's just like having those conversations or tr- or feeling or piloting things or seeing what works mm-hmm. and having different ways to do things. And the Weinberg books on becoming a technical leader or secrets of consulting have all kinds of anecdotes that have helped me uh, get some of those communication aspects across. But, and then the next, le- I'm not going to give a book report on the five levels of leadership, but once they have permission to lead them, then it's about achieving results together with them. And then these things all build on each other and they, and they're excited about that. But yeah, you do, you do need that permission first. And that's what your story reminded me of. And by the way, Brent, thanks for kind of jumping yeah, ahead to yeah. almost the fourth question in my list, which I gave you before <laughs> I got to the third question. Well done there. Where'd you get that idea from, dude? It is uh, your questions. I view as guidance. No, no, I was just thinking as Anne-Marie was answering on my last question, I was actually reminded of the way I've done it in the past has helped motivate. And it's very aligned with this. You need, you need, I think you need executive support. At minimum, you need the support that says, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something. Your engineering team, if you want to do this transition, I'm going to do something. Your engineering team is probably going to, has a potential of freaking out. At best, you need to support me. At worst, you need to be a no-op on this topic. Because you got to, part of it is people fear change. And um, some folks fear change so much, they're not even worth willing to try now it doesn't like you you going into a a test job where you start off and and everyone's already doing tdd i mean yeah that's that sounds wonderful Uh, i never experienced that while i still held a, a test management position but i'm like looking back on it now i'm like oh that would be fantastic it was yeah But now I'm thinking about in terms of the other question, and I don't know how many companies still have this, right? I think, so first off, I assume it to be true that you would absolutely dispute the statement that devs cannot test their own code. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I, I'm sorry. I, you want to, I didn't know if you actually wanted me to ask that. I thought it was no, no, no. I, 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 
I was assuming that. I am assuming that. <laughs> yeah. So in this case, then that role becomes a lot easier. It's around, it's around, in my view, okay, how do we do the most amount of testing we can to deliver the most amount of quality? And, uh, and it, it kind of goes back to my trapeze metaphor, right? It's, it's essentially, hey, I don't know if you've heard this metaphor, and marie It's essentially, in my view, test team kind of acts as that safety net at the bottom of the, tra- the trapeze. And a lot of the times when we tell the engineering teams that, hey, test is going away, they respond literally like, oh, you're taking my safety net away. Right. And what you see that their behavior up on the tramp, the, the, the trapeze has been sloppy. They fall down all the time. And yeah, you look at them. Of course, I know why you're afraid, because now the safety net's no longer the one accountable to keeping you alive. It's you. Of course, the solution to that is to train them up. So that they're confident and competent again at the top of that trap, that the what the hell is that thing called? Not the trapeze, the, 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 the one, no, the yeah, the thin wire. Tightrope. Thank you. Win. And so, yeah, if you, if you, <laughs> I'll just keep the metaphor alive. Why not? So, if you join a circus and and uh, your trapeze. Uh, artists are already well conditioned and you know the safety net is not a requirement it's a value add yeah helping to improve their skills and become better artists on that front is a lot lot easier and what i found is that they it's far more fulfilling i don't at least for those individuals they feel like they are doing more things and i don't know I'm done talking on that one. All right. I, I'll, I'll just jump in. I think <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a valid point there, absolutely. Like when you've got engineers who are just like, I just want to, you know, I teach me how to test. Like, okay. <laughs> you know, that that's such an easy. Um, I have, you know, um, and I think but there's always places to improve. So the things that we did in that organization was we ripped away, we ripped apart the poor testing frameworks that existed. So there was a heavy dependency on, um, I can't remember the framework now, but but it was like these heavy end-to-end tests that just took forever to run and maintain and fitness. Oh, I remember fitness. that one. <laughs> and uh, we ripped, I ripped it out. I like, and I, I spoke to the other engineer, you know, the, se- the engineers, and I was like, the senior, the engineering managers. And I'm like, look, I'm really concerned about this framework. There's only, it only does like really 30 to 40% coverage of the system. And everyone's thinking that this is their safety net. What are we going to do about this? So, um, you know, the conclusion that we had was that let's just rip it out because, you know, we'll retire it. And look, if the worst comes to the worst, we can always restore it. You know, it's not the end of the world. But psychologically, we wanted to remove that safety net. So there's always rooms for improvement. And and that did create a lot of fear and anxiety for some people. So I think, you know, um, uh, I think that was, um, even in some organizations, you still have to rip parts of 
put, there's always a bit of a safety net somewhere that you have to kind of challenge and, and ask questions about, you know, where is the risk in this? And it, it was great because it led to a conversation about what is risk, retiring tests, the concept of, you know, um, we can actually, you know, there's a retiring date for tests and we don't, you know, are you thinking about that as part of your estimation that, you know, you're removing tests as well? You know, so it led to some really interesting conversations. Um, going back to the thing about sort of changing, say you don't have an organization or you don't have a team that's like that. Um, I had a great, um, actually a quality, quality coach taught me this, which was um, the ADCAR model. So Divya Kanur was someone who was working and she really um, suggested, you know, this, this change management consulting approach, which is, you know, ADCAR, which I think is awareness, give people awareness. So you're telling people the why. Why do we need this change? Why do we need to do so? Why do you need to do software testing? Why do you need to get that? You know, all those sorts of things. And then once you've got that, then you start looking at desire. So how do we actually gain, you know, how do we help people want to do those things, right? And what, it's only once you've got those two, then you start looking at knowledge and skill, right? Then you can start building up on what is, you know, what do they need to know? Um, what are the skills they need to acquire? And then the last thing is, um, oh, I think it's R, which is repeat. You know, so you just basically got this thing. You've got to keep going and saying it again and again and repeating that cycle because just going through it once isn't enough. So that was a big bubble light moment for me. I was like, oh, this is great because I tend to jump into the kind of just going straight into the knowledge and the skill that this is what you need to know. And, and I forget that I haven't taken people on this journey, which they have not been on themselves. So that was a big, big way back when I created the, uh, the, the quality culture transition guide exercise I was given, what is a quality culture? I'm going to go define this. And I just given a talk on it. And one of the things I took from my talk and, and built into that was the ADCAR model because I thought it fit really well into trying and get teams to adopt a quality culture. They have to be aware of what if it's important, then they have to have they have to want to do it, and then they need the knowledge and the skills or ability and the the reinforcement. I want to tell two quick stories to build on that and then to segue into another question for you. So uh, we're talking about developers testing, and one of the things I've discovered is that often times like a developer has been told in a lot of organizations that they can't test as well as testers. And I've of course discovered that not to be true mm -hmm. in many mm -hmm. cases. So I, I think in some cases they just need permission to test. And you talked about getting rid of a framework in, I've been in situations time and time again, where by giving the developers ownership over the framework and the tests versus it being a black box somewhere else, they end up doing some really cool innovation on top of that. Plenty of examples, but one I wanted to, what was the one I wanted to share with? For example, on Xbox, uh, we built a test, a test system. So it's funny, I'm, I'm associated with testing, but I actually haven't done day-to-day -day testing in Ooh, I don't a long, long time. <laughs> I've worked a lot on platforms that enable testing. Test. I've worked a lot on infrastructure and thought mm -hmm. a lot about how mm -hmm. teams do testing. In our test distribution system, we made it so anyone could plug in their Xbox to the system or or Xboxes in their office and and run their tests there. And people uh, built stress frameworks on top of that for test distribution, or they would make their own little mini performance lab outside of the lab. So. 
I've had other places where given developers ownership over the framework, they fixed longstanding bugs that the test team or the test infra team had no idea how to fix because it just seemed obvious to them. Or in learning how to write tests, they've learned how to be much more, uh, to write much more testable code. Uh, one time I did a little mini one day bug bug hunt back on teams at the encouragement of our VP. And normally I don't like those things, but I gave teams some guidelines of kinds of things to look for. I think I gave them Elizabeth Hendrickson's heuristic cheat sheet. And I Mm. was blown away over some of the bugs they found. Like they dug in deep and found security bugs that I could not find. And I'm not a great security tester, but you know, I'm supposed to be the expert here. And they're like, oh my God. So again, I've been blown away. So the question I have for you is, as you've been doing this quality coaching, what's an example of one or two things that have surprised you or you think would be surprising to listeners? Oh, um, look, the first one that comes to mind, and I think this is around data, you know, um, and the, the constant problem of how do you have um, test data that you can actually create on the fly or, you know, that doesn't slow down your test automation. I think um, we were we were um, in one organization, we were doing um, a lot of exploratory testing. So one of the things we were doing was having the, the testers do exploratory testing, but also encouraging the engineers to, to think about exploratory testing and and, and to kind of spread their wings in that area. And one of them came up with this idea of using the API to create test data. Now this was, you know, like quite a while ago, this was quite a kind of, you know, whereas it might be quite common now, I think that sort of concept of actually using the API to actually create the test data that you need in order to do your testing. Um, because we wanted to get this, the system to certain states. And so they just came up with this, this idea of, of doing that. So that was really, really neat. And then they developed a little interface for the uh, testers at the time. So the testers could just, you know, jump in and just add sort of lots of data into the system. So that was really neat. Now, that's probably the one that comes most to mind. I'm actually interested. I don't know if it's a segue and Alan, you could shoot me down, but so recently we've been having a discussion around a difference between a quality coach and an agile coach and whether or not those might eventually merge. So I had this question, somebody asked me about the quality coach and then they said, and I said, well, it's kind of, you know, what is a quality coach? And they were in engineering and, and I was, I'm saying, well, it's a bit like, you know, having an agile coach in the team. And they said, well, we used to have those and then we got rid of them. So does that mean the quality coach role is retiring too, you know? So I don't know if, uh, oh, I don't know where I'm going with this one, but, um, you know, I just think that, you know, agile coach, I don't know, in certain parts of the community isn't regarded as a, as a role anymore in organizations. It's like we've, we now, everyone knows agile. We don't necessarily need an agile coach. Um, my take on that, um, before I go and actually answer the question you asked, (laughs) (laughs) she fits right in here, um, is, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) 
is um, that, you know, you need, there's different types of coaching. There's coaching, you know, if you, you know, do that movie, The Mighty Ducks or whatever it was, where they take the worst team ever and, you know, they end up winning the league because, you know, you've had this coach who's instilled belief and confidence and they get to the point where they just, they're so unified that they're actually, you know, they win the tournament. Well, there's that type of coaching. But there's also, you know, when people are in the Premier League and football, they don't stop having coaches. <laughs> you know, it's just that the coach does a different role. It's a different, it's more of a peer-to-peer thing. It's more about how we how can we sustain quality rather than, you know, um get to a get to an end state, if that makes sense. And and as you know yourself, quality never, never change, you know, the quality is never, never static. We're always, you know constantly changing our views about what quality is what we think quality was five years ago we're, we're changing our minds about that I mean if you, even if you look about quality as a, you know, is you know if you think about service and SaaS problems and, and that concept of consistently providing support ongoing support um, you know it, it's much more about a service rather than you know something that you just deliver on a floppy disk so our, our concepts of what we value in software have changed. And I think for that reason, quality coaches in some form, maybe they won't be called quality coaches, they'll be called something else. But but that role is always going to be there. Um, yeah. If I, if I may piggyback on what you're just saying, I like what you said, and you brought up agile coaches. So years ago, Alan and I did one of our worst podcasts uh, we did a podcast slash presentation it in the Alan offices and Brent of live at Red Real Fin. Come on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go it was, listen to that one. It was an interest. <laughs> it was absolutely an interesting idea. Well, the thing is, uh, it's that, agile because we're experimenting, we're adaptive, we're experimenting <laughs> and learning from our experience. Absolutely, yes, we did. And one of the things, what I remember is that's that was kind of the last time that I consciously remember telling a team to go hire an agile coach. Like it's been a long time since I've advised that because Anne-Marie's right. Everyone kind of knows now this quality coach thing. Like it's a new concept, but it's ish. I mean, it's been around for a while, but it's now gaining more and more adoption. And it's kind of what the, in my view, what testers have an opportunity to grow into. It's about scaling out. So well, the way I interpret what Anne-Marie just said is around, first off, coaches will start off and they're coaching at the tactical level. This is how you think about BVTs. This is how you think about exploratory it's, it's testing. It's like coaching now you kids have to do- versus coaching a professional adults. So this is why, and I, I'm right. going to interrupt for a second as, because the, the metaphor that, that, that has to be mentioned before I go any farther, that this is why Ted Lasso is such a great coach for Richmond FC. Brent, Brent, Brent's never seen Ted yeah, Lasso. He has no idea Apple. what I'm talking about. I, I love to, Ted Lasso. I'm such a big Ted Lasso fan. I, you know, in fact, I Brent, just love I don't, the, the, yeah, the dichotomy. Yeah. Brent, I don't UK think you need to comment on this topic really, on coaching until you have watched every episode <laughs> of Ted Lasso. And that's my statement, but I'll let you finish anyway. But you can't mention the word coaching until you've watched it. How are you going to get out uh, of that one, Brent? Yeah. So the role 
that I am banned, the, the, the redacted role starts off tactical. And then I, I think as it moves forward, as the tactics are, are expected and the tactics are well broadened throughout the teams, right? It makes sense that the role then becomes more strategic. I don't think NFL coaches for, I mean, in some regards they might, but I don't think NFL coaches are, are you know, teaching people how to tackle correctly. They, they operate, operate under that assumption. Now what they're trying to do is execute higher level strategies and make the strategy of, of, um, of a high quality. I do think, and I do think that, that well, well, defines my career. I think it defines Alan's career. I think it, it very much is in alignment with how you described yours. Yeah, I think I think it's like, you know, when, when I think about sort of some of the things that I'm working on, for example, right now, onboarding, like onboarding engineers and um, how do we know that everyone has the same understanding of what their role is in software testing and do they understand that software testing is part of their, you know, remit? And are they comfortable doing software testing? Do they need additional support? So we're looking at sort of the first three months of, of having this sort of like academy type thing. So to make sure that everyone is comfortable and confident, you know, uh, in doing these activities. So I think, you know, you start thinking about sort of strategies and plans for the future, you know, to make sure that everything you're, you're preventing situation, uncomfortable situations occurring. So those are the sorts of things I, I work on, too. No, it's and I think it's important, right? If, if you recognize that that fear is potentially a big thing in there, you got to make things feel safer. Mm. The, so I agree with that strategy, at least the way I understand it. Do you ever back off or do, or do you go or, or do you keep moving forward? Just like finding some new I way. Twist it, I twist it even harder. You know? No, I, I, I so, so no, yeah, yes. I, I don't imagine you do <laughs> They're that. not crying. I'm not winning. Uh, I'm pretty certain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Does it hurt yet? Yes. So um, look, uh, that's a really interesting question. I think. Yeah, I, I, I'm. There, there's a limit. I tend to give people a lot of space to to work things out. I mean, I try. Good. Well, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I, I, I try to think about how I like to be, how I like to learn, and how I like. I like to be given the space and the time and the autonomy to learn myself. So I tend to think most people want to learn things. It's just that. They don't necessarily either have the skill or the confidence or the time or the permission, you know, to, to, to feel that they can do that. So I try and tackle those things rather than actually looking at the person themselves and, and sort of forcing them into that situation. I mean, you know, you think about it, it's all about them. Quality is the team responsibility. So if I go in and sort of take that, that, that account, that, that responsibility away from them, you kind of, to some degree are, you're still kind of spoon feeding them, you know. No, um, what having said that, at some point you do have to kind of, you know, come in there and say no. That's you know, I'm trying to figure out actually some ways of doing that, which are interesting, but I haven't experimented yet on them. Ah, uh, gotcha. The no, I, so I do think you know, sort of easing them into it. The the what is it? 
boil the frog or pull the bandaid. Like I think on some of these things, boiling the frog is a more comfortable way of doing it. You'd slowly raise up the heat. Of course, that metaphor kind of sucks because everyone knows the frog dies at the end. And and wait, the frog dies? Not really what happens in Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ellen, that's what happens. How do you um, how do you make frog soup without a dead frog? <laughs> I, I actually think that's a terrible, terrible metaphor for, for it, what for what we're doing. <laughs> no, it, it, it absolutely is because it's really is we're we're trying to in my mind we're trying to to bring them to the the world of unicorn and rainbows and they they're just afraid of it, right? It's Look, like, there's a couple of things in that. One is who are you hiring? I mean, this is one thing I say to the to the engineering managers. Are you talking about software testing in your interviews? Are you actually asking them these questions when you're hiring engineers about their ability to do software testing? Because I think that that's where you nip that in the bud, right? I mean, you, you certainly you're going to have different groups of people that have, you know, you're going to have different types of challenges. For example, mm-hmm. the people who've been there for you know 15 years. That's a different type of approach you want to someone who is joining the organization. And you want to have two different strategies. So stop stop the problem right at the start by actually making sure that everyone at least is willing to do software testing. They might not have the capacity and they might not have the capability, but they're on board with the whole concept. So that's that's that, I think. And then you can help them with that. I think that's part of the quality coaching or the department of, of quality engineering is to provide that support. Um, I think that's on us. I think um, the, there's a different strategy for people who have, you know, entrenched and really do not want to do software testing, I think. Uh, <clears throat> and if they don't see that as part of their role, they don't, they, they, they think that's a, I guess some sort of dint to their ego that they have to do software testing and it's kind of, you know, and to be fair, the majority of people these days have really shifted. It's kind of um, like, that's, that's, I see less of that. I see more, I get questions. I have a lean coffee every month where people come in and they can ask questions about quality within the organization. And the thing is most engineers are going, what is quality coaching? When I, the organization I came from, all the engineers did all the software testing. So how does this all hang together? Like those, are so, so you know, like the, certainly where in, in the tech industry and, and modern tech, you're getting people who totally accept that this is how we should be doing. Um, so yeah, how the, we the be bubble's moving. That, so, it, it, it's, it's moving and mm, it, it, it's yeah, good to see yeah. it. Yeah, no, sure. and it occurred to me, it occurred to me like so Anne-Marie was was describing sort of the new people in the industry and the old people in the industry. And it occurs to me non-trivially her solution, which is ask about testing at the interview, is actually probably the solution to, or to both ask about quality these. as well. Or maybe even instead. That's right. 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 Because because what happens is as more and more of the the sort of the the more comfortable people come in and i've seen this over and over again either the old ones just go oh this is a bunch of crap and i'm out of here i can't stand this this is below 
well, fine, problem solved in, in some regards. See, okay, now we're interviewing a new person. Over time, what happens is the mix changes. The mix changes, and the once the org is mostly people who are comfortable with this, then the the old guys, and I've seen this over and over again, they 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 pick it up and they realize it's not so bad because it's a it's now more of a peer pressure thing than than an ego thing. Exactly. I actually learned this from I don't know uh, what's that? Who was it? Google. Um, what was it? Testing in the toilet. Like if you listen to there, if you listen to that 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 talk it's about um and that's how they exactly they did it they, they targeted um the new people coming in but also they had a different strategy for the for the uh people who there have been a long time and they realized exactly what you're saying brent that that once you get to this kind of percentage it, it becomes uncool <laughs> to to kind of have that 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 you know it's the, the hurt mentality you know um and the culture at that point has shifted. So I right. think it's a great way to to drive change. This, man, I want to keep on talking for another hour, but I can't because I, I got I got to go day. somewhere. But uh, <laughs> Emery, it's been awesome having you here. So uh, thank you for your time and for this. I will put a link to your website and a link to your Twitter. Anything else we should point to or anything else uh, you want people to get in contact with you or learn more about your stuff? <gasps> Yeah, I guess I guess you know at some points we we, we are hiring a culture app. I'm, I'm happy um, to push that. I guess my I, I am doing my yeah um, and also I guess my, I'm really excited about my quality coaching book, which is uh, a new SaaS online subscription thing, a model I'm trying, which I'm I have never I've been trying to write a book for about fifteen years, and I came to, came to the conclusion a couple of years ago that that. I was actually trying to push a model that didn't work for me. <laughs> I love writing. I really enjoy writing. It brings me huge pleasure. And this, this trying to deliver this book was just taking the joy out of that. But I had all these good ideas that I was saving for the book. You know, save it for the book. And because the book was taking so long, then these ideas started becoming redundant because you know how it is. And quality just changes so quickly. So I thought, like, bugger this. I'm going to write the book in real time. <laughs> and so I've developed this concept of a, of a quality coaching online book where basically I post something every month and it's a subscription based. So, yeah, yeah, really excited how that's moving. And um, yeah, come could join it. Subscribe. Every, all three of you listeners do that. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you. All the best. No, thank you for uh, offering to have me on. It's, well, come I've, back anytime. So, hey, I want to uh, talk about this. Yeah, Just ping us. Yeah. Oh, my God. Can oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. There we go. Yes. Br Brent it. is once yes. again forgetting that we're a podcast, not a YouTube app, but he's showing the, the web page. But I'll put a link to it. It's That's good all stuff. right. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you again, Anne-Marie. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All the best. Yeah. Take care. Yep. Have a have a great uh, evening for you, I guess. All and right. See you then. Thank you, Emery. Bye. Thanks, Brent. <laughs>